All right. Welcome to the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. This is Jordan Cohen. I am going to be kind of your one of your hosts today. I'm here with Olaf, and we are going to kind of give a quick two-week review of Chelsea's first two weeks. So, Ola, how's it going? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I've been trying to uh, control myself, seeing all the Anthony Taylor hits us um, tweets. So, um, I think I'm generally okay. I'll be fine. But yes, it's, it's a frustrating result, but ultimately, we have to make sense of it. And that's what we're here to do. Yeah, I think I'm kind of on the same page there. So, I guess let's start because we haven't really had an Everton match review either. Let's start just broadly by looking kind of both at the Everton match and then the Tottenham match. So, like, my very brief takeaway on this, and I'm interested in your thoughts, is that I think we were probably better against Everton than a lot of people thought. And I think we were probably a little bit worse against Tottenham than a lot of people thought. Or at least Tottenham was a lot closer than people thought. And so, but I'm interested in your thoughts. So, like, what did you think about both matches? Do you think there was, like, a clear progression forwards between Everton and Tottenham? Kind of what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, that, that's it. That's an interesting take by you, which I generally agree with. I think, for one, I do think the, the Tottenham match was clearer than a lot of people thought. But I think the Everton match was, to me, I think I thought we were a bit flat, especially offensively. I thought we were, were good defensively against Tottenham, against Everton, which may be easy to say because that's where we got the clean sheet. But I thought the Everton match was... I mean, Tukul himself mentioned it was uh, Chelsea. He expected the, the levels were not surprising to him because, you know, there were some fitness issues. It was the first game of the season. So that wasn't completely outrageous, the performance. But I think generally the, the, the Tottenham match was the one that I think the coverage on it has been stolen by, you know, off-field events. And no one is really talking about the match anymore. We're just talking about... We're not talking about how the match actually went. And why we had several minutes and large chunks of the game where we dominated, the few times we weren't dominating, Tottenham were on to us. And the only... The only were saved by Mendy once, were saved by poor finishing a couple of times. But I think if Hurricane and Ryan Sessegnon convert their chances, I don't think we're talking about Anthony Taylor at all. I don't think we're talking about referring decisions. I think it's it's I think we're still nailed down by halftime if if it's a, if it's another day. So I, I think it's important to actually do a match review and and see where we went wrong and where we went right. I thought we were brilliant against Tottenham, especially going forward. We hustled them. We won the ball back high of the pitch, high of the pitch, which Tuku likes to do. So we, we got that right. But I don't think we're as good defensively, defensively as, as many people are mentioning. I, I, thought, I, I think there's still a lot we can, we can improve on. And those things we improve on would would mean more wins in the future and more clinches in the future rather than fixating on you know every other thing that happened. Yeah, Pep said something last year about his Man City team and their ability to defend. And I think it actually is very true about this Chelsea team too, which is the reason he wants a City team to keep the ball is because they are not really that good defensively. Like They don't have like exactly. really talented defenders. And I think that Tottenham match and then to the Everton match to a certain extent also are perfect examples of that, right, for Chelsea, where once we 
can keep the if we could keep the ball on their side of the pitch, right? So is they they couldn't advance it past midfield, which we did yeah. both in both matches for large portions of that game. Our defense looks great. It's once they get that ball and like Tuchel has been doing something, or at least against Tottenham, that I noticed, and then I noticed in the first Udinese match where his two lines are real like pressing lines are really compact and so he's actually like he was letting Tottenham play out of the back and then the second they got to about I don't know like within where I guess your like fullbacks would normally sit if you're building out from the back or your wingbacks would normally mm-hmm. sit that's when Chelsea would start pressing and I think we're doing really good when we do that type of stuff but against both Everton and Tottenham, like, right, this isn't to say Silva or Koulibaly are bad defenders, but they're they're not the fastest people. Like, they're not, like, that fast, yeah. right? Like, they will get blown past. And, I mean, you and I both said, like, I think Reese James is very good defensively. I don't think he's a good center back, uh, at least as far as the def- defensive aspects are concerned. I think he's, like, he has talent. I think he can do it, but... In in both matches, like, Reese did a great job on Sun, but there were, I mean, as you said, like, Harry Kane should have had two goals, right? Like, he should have had two goals that match. Um, Sun missed a gimme, I remember, in the second half. And so to me, like, that is kind of the case with our defense, and I, I'm interested in your thoughts. Like, uh, do you think this is a group of players that could become, like, a really good defensive unit? And if so, what does that look like, right? Are we a really good defensive unit like Pep City are, where we're really good because we keep the ball 60-plus percent every match? Or is it like a a, almost more of like Mourinho-style thing where, yeah, we're maintaining a lot of possession, but we're also just really good defensively? I think it's – I think we are are good defensively, but I think – I mean, we clearly have good defenders. Thiago Silva is brilliant at what he does. Libali is very good. But I think we saw at parts of last season that Thiago Silva, we know, is not fast. Not only is he not fast, he's 38, or will be 38 very soon anyway. And there's only so much thinking ahead you can do before you need to get into a foot race. And for me, that was what happened in large parts of the Tottenham match, where Thiago Silva was ahead of play most times, mentally, but there were times when the ball did come through and Hurricane was in. There was a time that, I mean, there was, there was a ball that, the ball that was played to Ryan Sessignon, it's like our whole back line was asleep and he just went. And all of, all of us looked at the linesman as, as, as if that, that should be offside, right? And it wasn't. And until the shot went off, we're still looking to the linesman to say, to expecting the class to go up, and he didn't. So for me, being good defensively is not just being able to make tackles and head the ball out, but being able to prevent your opponents from getting very good chances at goal. And if you allow several very good chances like that, like we did against Tottenham, then it's it's difficult to, to say you, you you should have gotten the win or you should have gotten the clean sheet because the, the hurricane shot, the sun shot, the Sessanian shot was out of Chelsea's control. We're looking to Mendy to save us at that, at that point. And often Mendy did, but that's not something we, we could have controlled at that point. And 
that for me is 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 the key thing. I think as for as for resumes at center back, I understand we'll see resumes at center back from time to time, depending on the on the opposition. But I think that is also why we need uh, an extra center back in, because we cannot. I don't know how I feel about moving the right wing back to center back and putting a central midfielder at right wing back. It will work in one game. It's probably working two, three, four games, but it's not something we we can't have that as a go-to plan for for specific games. Because at some point, the the, the opponents will clock onto the fact that if they play a fast center forward or a fast winger, we'll put resumes at, at at right center back, and they could find a way to exploit that. I think. I, I, I think Resumes is underutilized at centre-back. I understand why he's there, but I, I also think part of our success against Tottenham in terms of how good we looked going forward was because we are playing against Tottenham. And Tottenham were not going to sit back. They couldn't be as, as dominant as we were because we didn't let them be as dominant as we were. But they were clearly not sitting back. So Lopesic uh, was able to run forward Lopesic was able to run the channels. Uh, resumes, uh, some people said, uh, acted as a kind of right back. He, st- he still was able to do a lot of the things he did while he was at right, right wing back. I think that because of the opponent. And I'm careful drawing conclusions or making definitive statements about single game result like this when people play out of position. Resumes is a very good tackler. He's strong, he's good in ground duels, but he's not a centre-back. And if we plan to use regimes as a centre-back long-term, I think that's going to be a problem. I don't think that's Tuku's plan, but I see us using him at centre-back more than more than rarely. And I'm not completely comfortable with that. I think, I think the centre-back position should be occupied by centre-backs because they know how to, they know how to balance going forward, coming back, uh, maintaining their positioning and a lot of other things. So I, I understand that as a solution to a single game, it, it works, but I don't want us to rely on that long. Yeah, and like something I've been concerned about, right, and I had a whole stats that are about this today, is that when we were progressing the ball up the right side of the pitch, it was a hunt, all of it was going through East James. And I think right now, and I actually think to a certain extent, this was a problem last year, is that Chelsea's entire build-up structure is based around two players, right? Jorginho and Reese James. If one of those two players does not play, we struggle a lot more to get the ball off the pitch. And I know, like, the job of a center back is not, like, their first job is to actually defend. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, get lost, that gets lost a lot, like the Jules Koundé stuff. Like, Jules Koundé is not a great defensive center back. <laughs> like, like it, it, at some point, it, everybody's like, oh, well, he was mad. Tuchel wanted him to be a wing back. Well, yeah. Like Tuchel, Tuchel's not dumb, right? Like Tuchel sees what this guy does. He's not a good defensive center back, right? So like, <laughs> like I get that, but I, I am a little bit concerned that our entire kind of build-up structure is based around these two guys, right? One of whom is over thirty, right? Who has a history of back issues. And the others, Reese James, and like that's awesome. Reese James should be getting paid a lot more than he is. I saw like FB Ref added wages, and Reese James, I think, is one of like the seven lowest on the team. So yeah. like he deserves more money. But I also feel like that lineup we used against Tottenham 
like that weird like three four three slash four four two box midfield will only work if Reese James and Jorginho play. Otherwise, you cannot do it. So that's my fear too. But I know you you want to add something. Yeah, I, I when I listened to people talk about Jules Kunde, it was clear that we were all saying the same thing. Those that were in favor of it and those who were against. But I mean, someone talked about this off the ball movement in the final thought. It, it, it just it just tells you all you need to know when you are talking about a center back's ability to influence play by being in the final third. I mean, we look at Van Dyke, we look at Matic, we look at every center back that there is. They are excellent passers of the ball. They progress the ball, but they don't need to leave their, they don't need to vacate their positions to do that. If a center back needs to leave his center back position to, to, to show what he can do, that's a problem. And I, I think the general idea of attacking center backs is, <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's a bit weird because centre-backs shouldn't attack, not in, not in the sense of the word attacking centre-back. If he goes forward a lot, it could become a problem more often than not. So I, 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 think, I think that's just, that's just that. I, I think generally the conversation around centre-backs with, with the... With, when, when Pep came to the Premier League and generally when people started watching Pep and Barcelona, People started getting a warped idea of what a good centre back is and what and what a what a decent centre back is. Now we see centre backs who their weakness is their defending and their strength is their passing, which doesn't make any sense at all because a, a, a centre back that can't defend, oh oh, he's a good passer but he's not a good defender. He's not a good centre back, so he he may work for Pep. But Pep is one manager out of 400 and something. And for the vast majority of teams, most teams need centre-backs to do centre-back stuff. Only a very few teams can afford to have centre-backs who aren't strong defensively but are very good on the ball. So I think it's just it's a good point you made there about, about centre-backs and especially about build-up because we often forget that, we often forget how important Jorginho is to to how we play generally as a, as, a, as, a, as a team. And when he doesn't play, it is, it is clear that this guy is not in the team. If I, I saw how Jorginho was against Tottenham, if he wasn't there, Tottenham would have had a lot more success. They would have had a lot more joy. We would have broken down because no, no one can do it. We've tried, we've tried other options. It's not an easy job to do. And when, unfortunately, we learned that when Jorginho is not there and we're struggling. Yeah, I mean, the problem, right? So I think when Jorginho gets subbed off for Aspie in the second half, one of the things that I noticed is Ruben was the guy that was dictating play. And, like, credit to Ruben because he could not do that at the start of last year. So, like, he's definitely improved. But, right, and I think Ruben definitely has a spot on this team. But at some point, it's like, okay, he's your backup wing back. He's your backup Jorginho or, like, like, and like at some point you're asking him to do way too much. But uh, so one thing I wanted to ask about the defense. So you wrote this piece today that was like talking about this match was this Tottenham Chelsea match was closer than it seemed. And one yeah. of the points you brought up is like Chelsea gave a lot of big chances. Yeah. Uh, or, or so. So can you like kind of get into like why? Why do you think that was like why? Like is it just because Tottenham are a great team? Which by the way, like. Most people I know did not think we were going to beat Tottenham 
uh, going into Sunday. Like, a draw was supposed to be a good result. Like, Tottenham's a really good team. So maybe that's it, but, like, I don't know. Or is it a defensive issue on our part? Like, what are your thoughts? I, I think it's a mixture of both, which is the most cliche answer I can give. But I, for one, thought Tottenham was going to beat us comfortably. I thought they were. And I would admit that we came out looking much better than I expected us to. But again, I think defensive problems that are not handled eventually become a very, very big issue. And I think part of what part of what I, I noticed in that game was we allowed four clear-cut chances. None of them were penalties. And if we if we chalk it up to Tottenham having a good attack, they do have a good attack. I mean, Hurricane, Hurricane knows how to manipulate centre-backs. He knows how to just stay in that, in that position where if you follow him, you vacate your position. If you don't follow him, he will hurt you with his passing. So he knows how to do that. Human uh, son is, is, is very good. Kulusevsky is, is, is a brilliant player. I think we cannot... We can't... Uh, what is what I'm looking for? We can't ignore the fact that Tottenham have a, a, a very good set of attackers. But the other part of it is, on our own part, we, especially in our defending, when I say defending, I don't necessarily mean the action of our centre-backs. I mean defending as the team. For instance, in the set pieces, in, in the last corner kick that we had, we bungled it. We, we did not do well at all. We bungled it. So at the end of the day, whether you feel... Tottenham should have that corner or not. The corner has been given. We have to defend. Thiago Silva was not near the. It was not near the action. Koulibaly was not near the action. Uh, I think it was Hurricane and two other sports players that contested for the ball. There was a blue shirt in there, but I don't think it was any of our centre backs. So I think, for one, teams have learned that Koulibaly is probably in a better position to recover. If I try to play bowling behind them, so I would rather play behind Thiago Silva. I watched the Liverpool game yesterday, and I saw, I saw that for the first goal that we first Zaha scored, Van Dijk was not close to it because Zaha made sure that he stayed with Nat Phillips, and the ball came through Nat Phillips' area, and Nat Phillips couldn't deal with it, and Van Dijk was not there to deal with it. So, the point I'm making is. Thiago Silva, teams will catch on. I've caught on to the fact that he's not fast. He's extremely intelligent. But when you have someone who knows that if I get into a foot race with this guy, I'm likely going to win, they will try as much as they can to get into a foot race with you, no matter how much you try to avoid it. So I think that was one. The other part was we, we allowed eight shots in the box. Tottenham uh, allowed 11. Of those eight shots, four of them were big chances. Of our 11 shots or 16 shots, about two of them were big chances. And there was one that Kai Havas missed, which, I mean, I'm not surprised to see Kai Havas miss a big chance. And there was one that resumed scored. We did not create... A, we got a lot of space. We won the ball back high of the pitch a lot. The fact that we couldn't convert many of them into clear chances is a problem that has spilled over from last season into this season. And we're letting go of Ziyech. Maybe not letting go of him, but he hasn't featured in, in two games now at all. So it's clear that Tuko doesn't 
expects Ziyech to be a, a, a considerable, he doesn't expect him to, to play many, he doesn't expect him to feature much. In the absence of Ziyech, we don't really have, between Mount uh, Sterling and Harvard, the only person who can pass as a creator is Mr. Mount. Kai Havertz has never been a creator. Sterling is, is going to get on the end of chances. He's going to, he's, he has excellent movement, but he's, he's not a creator. So I think our inability to create many quality chances helps Tottenham stay in the game. If you want, if you want to make sure that a team is not in the game, you make sure that you get on top of them, create as many wonderful chances as you can, make sure they don't get a sniff at your goal. Sometimes you can do one more easily than you can do the other. But Chelsea didn't do enough of either. We didn't create enough big chances. We created a lot of good chances, but we didn't create enough big chances. Tottenham deep. And if they had, if they had converted their chances, we are, we, are, we are talking about something different here. And we also allowed a lot of shots that you know, we could have avoided. Jorginho, for the, for the first goal, whether I would think it's a foul on Harvard or not, he shouldn't be trying to dribble two, two, two Tottenham players in his own box. He's a defensive midfielder in his own box. I don't care what the, 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 the team instruction is. I don't care what Tuku wants him to do in that situation. He has a brain and he can read the situation. So he shouldn't be making that decision. If he makes a decision in another game, we'll concede again. So it's, it's problems that, that are there that we have to solve before we, we talk about things that are out of our control, like referring decision. Yeah, really quickly on the Jorginho thing. I- it is frustrating because it was one of the best midfield performances I've seen in a very long time. And it, was, it, it just, it, it, like, it was a world-class midfield performance, but he made a dumb mistake. Like, yeah. and I think he would admit that that was just a dumb mistake. Um, yeah. But but he made it, right? But, like, I'm seeing people saying, oh, well, th- look, look at Jorginho. This is why he's not good. It's like, do you re- like, we would have lost that match if Jorginho didn't play at all. Like, he he is so important, and he's good defensively too. People talk about this guy like he's unathletic, so he's bad defensively. Jorginho is screening the center backs like he does screen the center. Like he's really good. His defensive position is underrated because yes. at three times a year he gets blown past, and so everybody's like, "Oh, well, he can't defend." It's like, no, no, no he can. He's good, but anyways, one of the things I want to talk about in the attack, and this is partly inspired by kind of our group chat with the rest of the pod guys, is that Kai Havertz is on thin ice. Like, right, Kai, by all accounts, Kai Havertz had a good game, right? Just broadly speaking, he was he pressed incredibly well. He won the ball back. He actually held up play a little bit. But he doesn't make striker runs. And it's like, even if you are playing as a false nine, at yeah. some point you need to make striker runs. And it's like, well... Yeah, because someone needs to make the runs. Yeah. And it's yeah, exactly. like, well... And like, listen, I get what... Like, Sterling's instruction in that match was very clear, which is, yes, he was playing centrally, but his job was to drag a center back out of the box. Sterling was very much the second striker. Kai's yeah. role was to make those striker runs. Exactly. And everybody's like, oh, well, Reese James keeps crossing. Nobody's on the end to receive it. Yeah, but that's not Reese James's fault. Kai Havertz isn't making the runs. And the one time he made the run, 
he missed a clear cut chance. Yeah, he missed. Like a it was a big chance that he just fumbled. And listen, everybody fumbles chances, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that. Oh, he's especially bad at finishing. I don't think he's great, but I don't think he's like an awful finisher. But he's got to make those runs more often because Reese James is. He had that ball numerous times that match, and nobody was making the run. And I don't know. I think this is why Tuchel wants Obama Yang. And we'll talk about transfers later. But to me, I don't like Obama Yang, the player anymore. I, I think he has lost a lot of what made him special. But one thing you can definitely say about Obama Yang, even last year, there was an Arsenal Barcelona. He makes those runs. That's exactly. kind of all he does. But he makes the runs. And to everybody saying, oh, well, like, no, Kai has my I think if Tuchel gets Obama Yang, Kai's he becomes a squad he becomes the same as christian pulisic right like one of these little squad guys um that plays every once in a while so i mean to me that is kind of the big question mark in attack right we're the chances are there to be created even mount who i sometimes get at for not being as like intelligent with creating the chances a lot Mm -hmm. of tens are but like even mount there was numerous times like mount had the run, and we know that because he gave it to Sterling that once for a really good chance. Yeah. Um, but Kai just wasn't making the runs. And so to me, that's a big problem. But I, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Yeah, I think for, for, for a team that crosses as much as we do, our, our, our fans seem to seem to be against this idea of a traditional nine so much. And I don't understand it because uh, Manchester City are the ones more likely to hold up play and try to walk the ball into the box. Liverpool cross a lot. They, don't, they are not ashamed of that. They cross when they want and they, they, they get their chances off. Chelsea often, because we don't have a KDB, we don't have, we don't have a player who consistently plays in the side that has a wide range of creative options or creative wide range of ways to create chances. So most of the time, our chances come from crosses. So if our chances come from crosses, why do we have a lot of a lot of fans against the idea of a traditional nine? I I, I think I, I think it's 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 a bit weird because even last season, most of our chances and big chances came from crosses. Our best chance against uh, against Tottenham came from a cross. So if we are going to do that, then we might as well play Kai Havertz at center forward. Because, I mean, last season, many people talked about the, the fluidity he had, and I mean, I I made it perfectly clear what I thought about that fluidity, but it's clear that it's not just me that had this opinion. Tuku clearly also doesn't see Kai Havertz as this wonderful fourth nine figure. And it's, 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 it's really, really, it's really weird. But yes, I, I agree that Pulisic is one of the best at running in behind a, a back line. I think because of, of how often he tries to dribble, people forget that. For me, he's better at getting on the end of, of clear-cut chances than he is at dribbling. But that may be a controversial opinion. And now that we have Sterling, Sterling is going to make a lot of those runs and disrupt the opposition defense a lot. But it still brings us to someone needs to get the ball to them. If he's going to run, someone needs to, to get the pass to them and I don't know where that's going to come from, really, because Kovacic has not played any of the last two games. I don't know if he's injured, but he hasn't played any of the last two games, and 
the only other person we have that is going to do that that is starting is Mount, and Mount is not. Over time, we've, we've I've come to the conclusion that we need another creator alongside Mount. Maybe not to replace him, but alongside him because he can't carry the load by himself. He's not. He doesn't have the presence of mind to pick out passes when runners are runners are moving around. So we need someone someone else that can do it with him. And we, we have the runners now. We just need the person. So like I remember you brought up City at the start of that, right? And it's like, yeah, City cross a lot. And City, I mean, this year they have Holland, but last year and the year before they did this like weird like double false nine thing that I actually think Tuchel's trying to do. But the difference is when City do that, right? It's not that City don't have people making striker runs. It's yeah, that rather than true. having one guy make striker runs, they have five guys doing it, right? Yeah. You would have Jesus, Sterling, one of Mares or Foden, Gundawan, and De Bruyne, all making run- those runs. Uh, and they would trade yeah. off. But all game long, they made those runs. I mean, at yeah. this point, it, I think against Leeds, assuming we don't sign an attacker this week, I would start Sterling and Pulisic and then with Matt kind of behind them because it, Kai's not making those runs. I, I don't know what the vision for Kai is if he's not going to make striker runs uh, because, right, this I, people don't understand what false nine means because they just hear it and they assume it means you're basically just playing without a striker. Like, no, 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 false nine's a striker, right? It's just a striker that helps him build up and makes those runs later. And, like, that's yeah. what Sterling was doing. But, right, because what Tottenham very clearly realized is Kai wasn't going to do that, they just man-marked Sterling. Right? You can't do that if you have another mm-hmm. guy making those runs, but you can if it's just one guy. Um, and so I, I just – to me, it's one of those things where I it, I agree with you, right? I think we need another creator. I think Chelsea fans are going to freak out with what that means about Mason Mount because – I don't see another spot in this team where that creator is really going to play other than in Mount's spot. Um, and I think Mount's going to have adapt- to adapt like a lot of guys on the team have, right? I think Mount is going to need to become a holding midfielder or at least learn how to do it, right? Because I, yeah. I think that that is actually for a guy that is not that Mount's unathletic, but like for a 10 in, in, in football, like Mount is not as athletic as you'd love, right? I think Mount's athletic profile is more similar to that, like uh, the midfielder, not really a box to box guy, but a guy that goes to that left half space and kind of yeah, just patrols that patrols that area. Okay. And, and that's kind of what Kovacic does when he plays for us. Uh, and I think that's got to be what Mount figures out how to do. But Unless you have anything to add there, I think we've talked a decent amount about kind of the attack. And I think our views on the match overall are similar. But one thing I wanted to get talk about, because I don't think we can have a match review without talking about it, but I do think we need to have a match review where it's not the main thing, mm. which is the refereeing performance. Um, yeah. My position on it is I think Chelsea fans have a point about both calls. I think Chelsea fans overemphasize how much Anthony Taylor hates us, right? Chelsea have not lost result in the last six times Anthony Taylor's been the referee. They have not lost result. Anthony Taylor doesn't hate Chelsea. Anthony Taylor's widely considered to be a bad referee at controlling a match. And this is what happens. 
but in both situations, there is no excuse for Chelsea. Like Chelsea gave up those goals, not based on what happened on the play where they're calling them, where the foul occurred. It was the play after. And at some point, to me, you got to just win the match, right? Kai Havertz makes that big chance. The, the, frankly, the best chance we had all match. Nobody's yeah. even talking about this, That's right? True. You've got to finish. But I'm interested in your points, and I kind of have a broad idea of where you're going to go. But I'm interested in what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think the for me, I, I don't mind. I don't mind uh, noting referring gaps. It happens. I've watched. I've watched games where a player was tackled right in front of a referee. He was standing right there, and he didn't. He, he didn't blow. And it led to a goal, and the goal stood. And I was, I was, I was stunned because it happened right in front of you, and it was a foul. But it was, I, I've seen, I've seen officiating calls and non-calls go in favor and against Chelsea, in favor of and against Chelsea. It irritates me as much as as the next guy, but I think it's counterproductive to look on a ninety-minute performance and just talk about how the referee's decision impacted the result. For instance, like you mentioned, the goals we considered, if we had done what we were supposed to do after those calls were made, the calls are still made against Chelsea, but we still win that game. So it's not, for, for instance, Kai Havertz, he is fouled, okay? I dispute, I dispute that that's a foul, but it's neither here nor there. Let's say he's fouled. The play is supposed to be stopped. It's not stopped. We win the ball back. Before they, before they take the shot at goal, we win the ball back. And then the ball is given to Jorginho, and then we lose the ball there. So at the end of the day, there are professional players who are paid to play, and they are paid to play to the whistle. If you think the, the call should have been made and it's not made, play on. I mean, Tukul is already fighting on the is fighting on the sidelines because he, he feels his, his team has been cheated. The players on the pitch don't have to react as if. I mean, it, for me, it's. I, I generally think, I, and I agree with you. I think the problem with refereeing in, in England is is widespread. It's not it's not an Anthony Taylor thing. It's not a Mike Dean thing. It's not a party anything. I think generally, England referees are not good. I've watched, uh, I mean, in, interestingly, Anthony Taylor is a, is a UFR referee and, and he, he officiates um, Champions League games. So, as much as men don't want to hear it, he's one of the better ones. He is. He's one of the better ones. As much as, as, we, as we hate to hear it, he's, he's going to re- referee most games in a league season. Him along with, uh, I, I'm not sure about Mike Dean, but him along with uh, Michael Oliver, are the Two top refs in, in in England, so it, it's why it's why I listen to the calls to, to ban him, and I'm like, he's not going to get banned. He's going to officiate more games. It's not something that we can do anything about. And I and I agree that the problem with Anthony Taylor is, is not an against Chelsea thing. It's not a Chelsea thing. I'll give an example against Liverpool last season, the the match where regimes got sent off. We watched that game, and many said, here we go again. Taylor cost Chelsea a match. Liverpool fans said the same thing. <laughs> I saw Liverpool fans say Taylor, Taylor was biased against them. 
How can you be biased against Chelsea and against Chelsea's opponents in the same match? It doesn't make any sense. So it makes more sense that he does struggle to control games and then react to, to, to what's going on by dishing out cards in a, in a desperate attempt to force everyone to, to comply. So I think it's, it's more a problem of refereeing in England than a personal agenda against Chelsea. It's, 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 it's a, you have to be quite self-centered. I'm not sure if self-centered is the word, but to, to look at a, a match official and go, he doesn't like us. He's always giving calls against us. I don't think that's it. I, I think we, we would see calls in our favor. We'll see calls against us. Many times the, the, the claims that, you know, for, for instance, the, the, the help will, the help was something that it's a clear, it's a clear foul. Whether it's a red or not, it's a clear foul. Something should have been done about that. It should have been called. VAR cannot intervene in, in a yellow card situation. They can only check for a red card. And if they don't think it's a red card, they can't overturn the referee's decision. So, so there is that. So at the, in that situation, the onus is on either the linesman or Taylor to call that foul. Because if, they, if they don't call the foul and it's not a red card, they're not going to be overturned. So it still comes down to a, a refereeing issue. And I think I agree with everyone when they say referees in England are not that great. They make a lot of mistakes. They make a lot of errors. VAR was not brought in to pick up the slack where, where referees fail. A, 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 an incompetent ref will show whether VAR works or not. The VAR is a guy sitting behind the camera and a bunch of like 798 cameras. But the VAR was not brought in to take over the referee's job. At the end of the day, the ref still has to ref the game. And if the ref misses something and it's not a red card, it, then it's gone. And admittedly, the ref won't see everything. But I agree that Anthony Taylor does struggle to control games. Generally, the refereeing in England is not, is not good. But I don't think we should be making this much noise about refereeing decisions. I've seen people say the, the referees, there are a lot of popular referees in England. I've seen people say the coverage of referees is, 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 is a lot. Why do we know so much about the referees? I think that's a lot more to do with the reactions than the actual situations that are on ground. I don't think, I mean, if Sky Sports decides to take an angle of Anthony Taylor when they're talking about Chelsea versus Tottenham, every other person out of outside England that is reading about the match is going to know about Anthony Taylor. So I, I don't think it's, it's, it's that they are so bad that they are popular. I think it's we cover, we, the coverage we give to the, the refereeing decisions are so much that they are popular. So I, I think it's, you know, yes, the, the refereeing decisions were horrendous at times, but it still doesn't take away responsibilities from the Chelsea players. Right. And so, so two points. One, not to Anthony Taylor missed the call, right? The line, everybody missed the call. That yeah. was a mistake, right? Like a hair pull, a hair pull is a foul. However, VAR cannot step in to give a foul. Exactly. It, it cannot do that. It can stop in to change something to a red card. And I think it can stop in in certain cases of like if a player was injured because of a play. Uh, I don't know the exact rules, but I know for a fact it can't just stop in to give a foul. That's not what VAR can do. Anthony Taylor missed the call. 
Sure. That doesn't excuse the letting Tottenham do the exact same thing we did to them in the first half, which is exploit our zonal marking on the next corner kick. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, like, it doesn't... I think the other problem I have here is, let's say Anthony Taylor is just biased against Chelsea, right? Let's say he costs us this game. I don't think that's the case, but let's just go with that. That's, like, a really shitty way to w- walk away from this match where I think Chelsea looked as dominant as you could expect a team that is going to compete for the title to look. We looked really, really good. So did Tottenham, right? Nobody's talking about it. The fact that Tottenham could keep us to two goals when having the ball 35 to 40% of the matchup points, like, and they couldn't even progress it out of their own pitch, like, that's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, It's really impressive. I think both teams should walk away feeling very happy. I think also one of the things I've said is I don't know that Liverpool are going to be as good this year. I think Saudi Omane did a lot more for them than people talk about. And I think Darwin, like, I think Darwin Nunez is going to, is great, is going to be great. But I think Liverpool are going to take a step back, which means I think after that, this week's match, if both teams can stay healthy, which is a big if, I think Chelsea and Tottenham are going to compete for second. I think City's going to win the league by a mile. But I think Tottenham, Chelsea, and Liverpool are, are and Liverpool are all going to compete for second, which is a really good takeaway. Like to me, rather than focusing on the refereeing decisions, I don't want to let them control my mood. I want to be happy that Thomas Tuchel seemed like he Thomas Tuchel's back. And I think even the Everton match, we started seeing that too. Like Thomas Tuchel's like ability to tactically exploit an opponent is back. And I it was not there, but you can even tell from when you hear him talk. He just seems calmer, right? Like the end of last season, he seemed so tense. And he just seems calmer now. And we're seeing the results on the pitch. So but uh I'll let you close out before we get to transfers if you want to talk about anything about kind of what I just said. Yeah, I, I, I watched Liverpool yesterday and I realized they they are still as good as they are when I mean they they're good, they're a very good team. They dominate teams, they press teams, they get on top of teams, they suffocate teams. But I think the narrative that club made this forwards what they are is about to be exposed big time. Because Mohamed Salah is a magnificent player, he's world class. He wasn't made that way by anyone. Yes, club's duty is to create a system or to implement a system that maximizes the talents of the players and maximizes their outputs subsequently. But I think the idea that you can just train an attacker into that team and they will produce the numbers, money, for instance, was producing, I think is ridiculous. And I think that's where... Many people, if you want to give credit to a manager, give credit to the manager, but don't make every player that he has worked ever worked with look average so that you can big him up. Because when you start saying, uh, this player is he's all right, it's so and so manager that made him that way, you, you get to a situation where many people begin to believe that we don't need to keep the, the talents we have. Liverpool knows why they signed Salah to, to a new deal. 
you are not going to get those, you are not just going to go into the market and get those goals. Chelsea has tried. We've been trying since 2016. It's not easy. Goals, when you have goals, that's one less thing you have to worry about. And that's a significant part of the game. I think the, other, the, the, the point I wanted, the, the, the other point I wanted to make on Tottenham was the Chelsea match showed that Tottenham are not just going to fall off. They played against Southampton. They were extremely comfortable. They played against Chelsea. Chelsea dominated them, but they defended well. They did defend well. I mean, they lost the ball at silly points in the game. They lost the ball in, in their own third. They lost the ball in the middle third. But in the box, they were very good defensively. And the fact that they were able to not just keep Chelsea down to two goals, they took more shots on target than Chelsea. They nearly matched Chelsea in shots. I mean, we had six more shots than them. But for the amount of domination we had, you'd have expected it to be much more than that. So I think Tottenham are going to be a lot closer to the top of the table than many may realize because now that Nunes is out, I watched um, Nunes, not Nunes, I watched Liverpool against Fulham. They didn't create a clear cut chance until Nunes came on. And by the end of the match, four. So, opponent of, the, of their chance creation. I'm not sure how many Liverpool fans realize. I probably am off the mark by some, but I think Nunes is a key part of how they play. Because without, we just Salah in the side with no money. Money was. Nunes is a dribbler. Salah is a dribbler. I said Nunes. Luis Diaz is a dribbler. Salah is a dribbler. There's no one to make the runs. Nunes was supposed to be that guy. And now he's going to be out for only God knows how long. So I think it, it's going to be much closer. I thought I'm going to get to the top of the table than many realize. I think City are extremely comfortable. They won Bournemouth 4-0. Haaland didn't even score. I think they are going to be extremely comfortable with this season. They've not considered the goal in the Premier League. And it's the last thing is it's it's funny how community shield happened and we all went, oh, City will struggle. See how look look how good Liverpool is. And the season has started. Liverpool are yet to win a game and, and City have won two games and scored six goals and considered none. So it's just it's just interesting that when when we do all the analysis and we we look at all the on-paper stuff, when the games are actually played, we see something completely different. Yeah, and, and I mean, Liverpool's entire, right, like, Liverpool's runs, kind of as you said, without Nunez, and I, I know he's at least missing the next match. I don't know what the further penalties are going to be. It's going to be something because that was the most deserving red card I've seen in <laughs> the Premier League in a long time. Um, but, like, without him, like, when they brought on, um, I think they brought on Firmino in the first match against Fulham. Yeah. And Nunez came on and Firmino was like doing a lot of this stuff to facilitate Nunez. But nobody else makes those runs. Like Sadio Mane for years, all like he was just making those runs. And then last year, yeah. Sadio Mane became their striker because Jota was not playing well. And so Sadio Mane was not just the one making the runs, but he was also the one doing that false nine, like facilitating play stuff. Yeah. That's going to be a miss. Um, I, I don't care what anybody says. Like, even yeah, if Nunez plays time. 30 to 35 Premier League matches, I think that's going to be a miss. Um, but I guess that gets to, right, like Liverpool did what they could to replace him in the transfer market, uh, which gets to 
Chelsea right now, I think, are linked with five players, right, that, that I've heard more than anything were linked with. Wesley Fafana, Anthony Gordon, Frankie de Jong, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and Wilfred Zaha. Those are the five right now with, I think, a week and a half, two weeks to go in the transfer window that we're being linked to. And I, I don't think there's going to be many surprise players after this. So in my head, I've divided it up into three categories. Defenders, where there's one, Wesley Fofana, right? Midfielders, where there's one, Frankie de Jong, and then three attackers, all of whom have kind of a different profile. So I'm interested in your feelings about those five players broadly. Are there any you really, really like that want, you want Chelsea to get at all costs? Are there any that you really, really dislike that you'll be kind of pissed if Chelsea get? Like, what are your thoughts? I I watched Fofana for, I think, those two or three games when he first came to the Premier League. And I was so jealous of Leicester that he just stepped into the market and picked out a very good centre-back. He's extremely good at what he does. I mean, it may not look that way at Leicester now because the whole Leicester team is struggling as a whole. But I really like Fofana. However, I think if, if Liverpool could, Liverpool, if Leicester could, could go to the market and get Fofana, and then offer him to us at 80 million. Why can't we go and get our own center back that wouldn't cost that much and still be extremely good for us? I think Leicester's casting is, is, is wonderful. I would want Sofana, but someone some may make the case that if you think he's good enough, then the price shouldn't matter. I don't think so. I think the price, the price plays a role in transfers. Because if you spend 80 million on Fofana, that is some 30, 40 million you can't spend on another position. So that's going to be key. I think Fofana is very good. I think we need an extra center back. Fofana should be that guy. I would have million, but if 80 million is the price, then I mean, we may not have a choice in the matter. I do, I, I, there's, a, there's a little bit of the Harry Maguire PTSD for 80 million, a center back leaving Leicester. But I, I don't think Fofana is, is, is Maguire at all. I think Zaha is very good. We could use a player like Wilfred Zaha because he's direct. He's a very good dribbler. He makes up the ball runs. He's, he, knows how to, he knows how to pull players out of position with his dribbling. He's, he's very good at, at controlling the back line. Aubameyang is one that I... I the chance creation issue in the, team, in the team is still there. If we get Aubameyang, we now have a good finisher. But will he get the chances? I don't know. If he doesn't get the chances, he's not going to do well. And then it's another, Chelsea get another number nine that can make it, the cost shares, whatever, whatever. I think, I, I agree that the Aubameyang that Suku worked with, is a very different Aubameyang to what he is now, but the the idea of if Tuko wants him, then we should go out of our way to get him. I don't I don't really know how I feel about that because it's that kind of strategy that got us into this situation in the first place. It is the get the manager whatever he wants since we have no director of football, and if we get a thirty-two year old or a thirty-three year old Aubameyang. And he doesn't work out for us. 
we're signing for the next the rest of his contract because no one is going to take him off us. So I think that's something that we have to be careful with. I don't really have a strong opinion on Aubameyang. I think he's a good finisher. I think he's a very good striker. He went to uh, Barcelona mid-season and he he did well. So I, I think I don't think he's washed up the beach, but I'm not sure if we want to be getting him on the premise of he walked with Tuchel because that may be a bad idea. Anthony Gordon, I don't really understand those links. I suspect it may have to do with right wing back, but I don't think he plays that kind of position for Tottenham for, for Everton now, so I don't really know why we're linked with Gordon. I He's a young player, and we can probably mold him into whatever I want him to be, but I'm not really sure I can say much about, about that transfer. About Frankie De Jong, I think he's a very good player, he's a very good central midfielder, a good dribbler, and a magnificent passer of the ball. I mean, we know the kind of football Barcelona play, and Barcelona felt the need to invest 70-plus million on him, so he's very, it's clearly a very good passer of the ball. I think many people misunderstand the role of Frankie de Jong. I think many think he's supposed to be some sort of Jorginho replacement, which is the farthest thing from the truth. I think in not just in the league, in, in this team, we can't afford to have a Frank de Jong at base midfield because he can't do half of the defensive work Jorginho does, and he can't compensate for his lack of defensive work with his passing. I think you are only going to get limited chances to show your passing ability in, in a game. At some point, you are going to need to screen the defense and, and, and defend. And I don't think De Jong is that guy. I think if we get De Jong, he's likely to play alongside Jorginho rather than uh, in place of Jorginho. That's what I think about our, our transfer target so far. Yeah, so I'll kind of start from the back, kind of from where you finished, which is Frankie Young. To me, and this is, listen, like, I think he is decent defensively. He just doesn't do defensive responsibility because he's played center back before. Like, I think he can do defense. But in reality, like, if you're getting Frankie Young, if you're Chelsea, it is to be Kovacic insurance. That's what yeah. it is, because Kovacic is hurt all the time. And if you're getting Frankie de Jong, it's to add that creative body in the midfield. He will be great next to Jorginho. I have no issue with going after him. I think it's a little weird, but I think what Chelsea are trying to do is say, listen, man, we know you would prefer to stay at Barcelona. However, if they will not pay you, feel free to join Chelsea. And I think that's a position, I think that's smart business. I don't have any issue with that. Uh, I think if you're bringing him in to be Jorginho replacement, that's foolish. But, I mean, I, I've said this for a while. I think Chelsea are going to extend Jorginho's contract. I don't think he's going anywhere. I, it, you have to wonder, if the journalists who for three years been saying Jorginho is going back to Italy are continuing to say it, maybe odds are that he's not going back to Italy because these yeah. journalists, so-called journalists. At some point, you, want, you have to ask the question if they know what they are talking about. Right, right. Like, I don't know how anybody's watched the first two matches and it's like, oh yeah, well, Chelsea are going to sell him to Juventus next week. Like, he's not going back to Juventus. Like, Tuchel, we will not finish in Europe. And I mean even Conference League. We will not make the Conference League if Jorginho is sold in the next week and a half. I, 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 th I think he's that important. But, so, I don't mind the Frankie Dion links. I, 
you know, I'm not going to lie and say I've watched a lot of him. Like, La Liga is really one of my blind spots. I just don't watch a lot of it. Um, but, like, from everything I've seen, like, he seems like a good player. His statistical profile looks like he's very creative. I don't have a huge issue with him. I, I don't like him as much as I like the Kukurea or Raheem Sterling signings, who I just thought are, like, you've just brought in two world-class players, or, or close to it, anyways. Uh, I don't feel that way about Frankie DeYoung, but I think he could become that. Uh, one of the accounts on Twitter I follow that I really like, Nemo says, made the point that he thinks Frankie DeYoung's like a Cesc Fabregas type player. Like that guy who's going to be kind of like this creative engine from the midfield. He can come deep and get the ball, but he could also play up in like near the box. That type of kind of creative player. So I like that. Um, as far as attackers go, I kind of agree with you. And I think the other thing about Wilfred Zaha that I really liked that he showed yesterday, and I even tweeted that, like, I've watched Zaha for years. And one of the things I think I constantly overrate is he can hold up the ball. Like, he is strong. And he was doing a lot of that yesterday. And to me, Zaha's place in this team is very clear, which is he, he's the Kai Havertz replacement, right? Because he can honestly do most things Kai Havertz can do as a striker, but he does them better. He makes those yeah. runs. He can pull center backs. Like I, I think that's his role. I don't think Zaha wants to leave Crystal Palace, but I think if he does, Chelsea are going to do their damnedest to get him. Um, I'm with you on Obama Yang. Like, and this gets to your Fofana point too, which is my view about what's happened this transfer window is that Todd Bailey came in and they were trying to do Lukaku stuff with Marina. He was incredibly unimpressed, and so he basically got rid of the marina, most of the scouting department, Petrcheck, et cetera. Like, I think he was just done. Like, he was not impressed, and he wants to bring in his own people. In the meantime, I think he has said to Tuchel, all right, you pick the players. Here's the problem with that. Tuchel, for the last year and a half plus, has been Chelsea's manager. Right? He's been their coach. He has not been responsible for scouting players in France, Germany, Spain, et cetera. So who, the guys Tuchel is going to recommend are guys that Tuchel has either coached before or coached against, period, right? And that, like, look at all of our targets this window. Like, every single one rumor have all been players Tuchel's coached or coached against. That's an excellent point. Uh, Obama Yang was probably the best attacker to ever play under Tuchel. Like when like Dembele was amazing, but Tuchel got Obama Yang firing better than any Arsenal manager ever did. Better better than any but like Obama Yang was better for Tuchel than Neymar was. Right? Like yeah. Obama Yang was phenomenal for Tuchel. And I think Tuchel's view is that if they get Obama Yang, he is going to just have Obama Yang pulling the center backs and making runs. And he's got, he thinks he can control Aubameyang. I think he's probably right. I think if you had a director of football, Aubameyang wouldn't even be on the list. Right? Zaha oh. maybe. Zaha maybe. But Aubameyang would not be. Um, oh. And I think Aubameyang's on the list because Tuchel's like, well, like, I'm trying to, like, manage this team, right? I need to come up with the weekly tactical, like, plans to play our opposition. Plus all of the stuff we just do as our own squad. I don't have time to scout. And so what's happening is the guys we're being linked to are guys two goals played against. That's why we're looking at a 21-year-old Wesley Fafana, who, by the way, 
is going to struggle just like any other 21-year-old center back will. There's not a 21-year-old center back in the world right now. There's not one in the entire world that is going to be consistent from game to game because they're 21 years old. And with center backs at his position, that the more you play it, the better you can read a game. Everybody's saying Fofana played terrible against Arsenal. No, 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 that's not right. Fofana had two terrible moments against Arsenal. But Fofana looked good. But, but right, he's center back. And those two terrible moments both resulted in goals. And at mm. the end of the day, that get, results in Fafana getting a bad rating. But, like, yeah. guess what, guys? Like, I think Tuchel is better than Brendan Rodgers. I don't think Fafana would be in that position at Chelsea. But Fafana is going to make a lot of mistakes. He's yes, 21 he years old. No like, doubt. Virgil van Dijk was, what, 26, 27 when Liverpool got him? That's like, seven. He, yeah, like, he was a much more finished product. That's not going to be Fafana. So if you're buying Fafana, you're buying Fafana knowing he's not going to be perfect 100% of the time, but he is such a good investment long-term that it's worth the 80 to $85 million. Listen, it's not my money, and I hear that argument. So if they want to go for Fafana for $80 million, you know what? Go for it. Like, he's better than Koundé. By far, he's better than Koundé. Um, and I think if you're going for a right center back, he's going to be better right center back than Koulibaly would be and Koulibaly is going to be a better left center back than Kimpembe would be, right? Uh, so to that end, I get the Fafana stuff. I agree with you. I think we need a director of football that is going to start scouting the rest of the world because the last few years, we just have not done it. We have scouted primarily the Premier League and the Bundesliga. And even the Bundesliga, we were going for the low-hanging fruit. Everybody knew Timo Werner and Kai Havertz were going to the Premier League that year. Yeah, everybody yeah. knew. We just jumped on the bandwagon. We got them, which is like great, except that neither of them have done well. Frankly, I think Timo Werner has done more for Chelsea than Kai Havertz has. But yeah, that's, Kai Havertz has, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. Like that, 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 yeah, I mean, which says a lot. But I, I mean, those are, I guess, my views. Like, I listen. There's there are players like center backs you and I both wanted, right? Like uh, Milankovic was the guy you kept bringing up. That I think if Chelsea had a director of football, would have been on their radar. He'd have. He would be the first name on the list. Yeah. There is nothing but, he wants in the center back. He didn't get to Milenko. Nothing. I I, yeah. I, I I just don't understand it. And like Vardial, right, is a guy that we are linked to, but I don't think those links were ever as serious. It's just, it's like, I'm not going to name names, but certain Chelsea Twitter accounts made seem. And I think those Chelsea Twitter accounts just go for like the obvious name. Because yeah, exactly. like that was when Vardial was being linked everywhere. I think Vardial would be a great signing, but I don't think Chelsea knew enough about him to sign up. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that was a problem, right? And like Milinkovic is just a perfect center back, right? Like he's great on the ball. He can move forward with the ball. He's maybe the best defender, broadly speaking, that we were we could have been linked to, right? Like you're not going to get Van Dyke. So like, but Milinkovic is close to that level defensively. Like at, you, you've written a lot of good articles about it with kind of like, and I've seen like video clips, that kid, that guy's good. But we didn't have a scouting network. So even if we knew who he was, we were never going to sign the guy. Um, and so I guess that's my view about the whole window. Like, I think we have done a really good job considering that limitation, which I think is a giant limitation. Um, and you posted something in the chat, but I'm just going to let you jump on it. But like, when you were talking about Harry Maguire, I said like, Harry Maguire was not bad. as His first two years at Manchester United, right, he was considered 
one of the best center backs in the world. It's recently like he's gotten the yips, but like I know you had a good stats. So I'll let you present that. No, when Social started moving towards the play the United Way nonsense, and and I consider it nonsense because I don't know what people think the United Way is. Ferguson never ran a a ticket at Manchester United. He never played a a. He, had, he did he did play get on top of the opponents, but he played 4-4-2. I don't know what people think Manchester United played. They, they, they make it sound as if they make it sound as if he, he, he played this dominating high line situation. I don't know what they, what they think, but I think when Social was playing his counter-attack, sit back, get your opportunities, play, play on the counter, Maguire looked good. And then at some point, the fans went, that's not the United way. Then he tried to implement pressing. He tried to implement. And you cannot really press without a high line because there's just going to be too much of a disconnect between the front line, the midfield, and the defense. You can't press without the high line. So he had to play the high line. The problem is you need a certain profile of centre-backs play high line. You simply do. You can't. You can't wing it. You can't hack it any other way. A, a, a centre-back playing in a high line has certain requirements. When you play in a high line, the opposition is going to be aware that there's a lot of space behind you, and they will try to exploit that space. You need defensive awareness, which I think Maguire has to a certain degree, but you also need to be athletic. You need to be able to chase attackers. You need to be able to keep up with attackers when they are, they are running at your goal. Harry Maguire is not fast. He's very slow. I mean, many people say it turns like a fridge, but he was running like a fridge at, at Leicester City. But Leicester City weren't, weren't playing the high line. So, in, in fact, in, in his second season, at, at in his, I think it was his first season at Manchester United, Manchester United considered 16 less goals, and he played about 36 or 37 games, if not 38. He considered 16 less goals. For the role he was brought in to do, he did it well. And then they changed his role, and then he had problems. I agree. I think I think Maguire will be perfect for for a back three as a central as the, as the center back in, in a back three. If he has people who will do all the running and 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 stopping and chasing players into the in, in, into the pitch, he if he doesn't have to do that, he's going to be fantastic. But the problem is. Manchester United have so many problems that he's the easiest target. I mean, I watched them against Brentford and I saw people complain about Maguire. I mean, when you lose one nil, clearly everybody takes some blame, but Maguire was the, 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 the farthest thing from their problem. It's, it's just, it's just probably when I watch, I mean, as a, as a big money transfer, he's going to be under that kind of pressure and he will be aware of it. Manchester United will be aware of it. But football fans really need to stop looking past. They, they need to stop looking at just the surface of things. Yes, if a Rashford-type attacker runs at Maguire and dribbles him, he will get through easily. But the whole point of his structure is to make sure that Maguire doesn't get into that situation often. He's a penalty box defender. He's tall. He's very good in the air. Very. 
I need, I think in, in the season Manchester United considered 16 less good, he took so many shots from corners. He cleared every ball that came to him. He's very, very good in the air. And he's six foot four. That was the expect from him. But when you assume that every center back that can pass the ball, which he's a very good ball, ball progressor, he's a very good passer of the ball. But when you assume that every player that can pass the ball well should play a high line. You, you have a lot of problems. I know Mourinho wanted Maguire at Manchester United. He did. But Mourinho was not going to play Maguire in a high line. He didn't play John Terry in a high line. And John Terry holds the record for the most clean sheets in a, in, a, in a league season. John Terry holds the record for the least goals considered in a league season. He didn't play a high line. You have to know how to use players. If you don't use players well, they are going to have problems, regardless of what you want them to do. It's 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 really frustrating to see. I mean, I find myself defending Harry Maguire, and many people would think I'm trying to say, oh, Maguire is as good as Van Dyke. I'm not saying that. But if you put a player out of his depth, you design a system and then you say, I need you to play this role. Rather than having a system and saying, This is the kind of player you are, this is how you are going to fit into this. There are a lot of there are going to be a lot of problems. Chelsea spent 100 million on Lukaku and now he's out of the club. And I'm hearing that Chelsea wants an inter him for another season. So it's it's Maguire is not a horrible center back. I will continue to say it. I don't care what Manchester United fans feel. Everybody is now is now cool to say is uh, is the worst captain to ever be at the club. I mean, is there any Manchester United player now that is the best of anything Manchester United have had in their history. Hey, what, what, what do they want from the guy? I mean, he, he cost 80 million, he's the captain. What do they want from the guy? He's their most con- is he their most consistent player other than Bruno Fernandes? Who is who is more consistent than Maguire on the side? Maybe that's a big claim, but he, his captaincy is not the issue. How many people on that team can, can wear the, the armband for Manchester United? It's just he has become a scapegoat because of his because of his price tag and his managers have asked him to play a role that he simply cannot play. He doesn't have the qualities to play that role. He's good at what he does, but if you want him to do something else, he just won't be able to do that for you. Yeah, and I mean, I think like the big takeaway here is I don't think Kerry Maguire is a lesson in not to sign Fofana. I think it's a lesson that like, if you spend $80 million on a guy, you better be able, or 80 million pounds, like on a guy, you better know how to use him, right? I, I have exactly. a friend that, Simple. I, yeah, like I have a friend that co-hosts a United podcast called United Hour. And they were talking about the Man United match against Brentford. And it's like, Maguire's a guy low on confidence, right? Everybody knows he's low on confidence right now. And what Man United are asking him to do is to cover for a five foot six center back to his left. Or to his right. No, to his left. I think the center was on his left. And they have very, like, not only do they play a high line, but there's a lot of space between their midfield and their center backs because the midfielders aren't holding midfielders. And so you are asking McGuire to cover tons of space. And the center back did, I, listen, I think Lissandro Martinez does a lot of things really well. I don't think he's a center back in the Premier League. But I think he does a lot of things really, really well. Like, if you watch him on the ground, I mean, even Ivan Tony said, like, he was not winning anything on the ground against Lissandra Martinez. I, I yeah. think Martinez is the guy that probably ends up, I, I, if and when Ten Hag is canned, uh, 
whoever comes in, I think we'll probably try to move him over to left back. But like, and that's fine. Like, that's good. But like Manchester United have for the better part of two years or a year and a half have been asking Maguire to do something that he is not capable of doing. Um, and that's not his fault, right? Exactly. You spend $80 million on a guy. You better be building your entire defense around that person for the next decade, right? Like if we sign Fofana, I don't think people want to hear it. We're not going to a back four. Like if, if Chelsea signed Fofana, it is going to be the right side of the center back or the central center back in a back three. And that is going to be like, uh, th- that's just going to be what happens for the, and that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. But right. If you spent, this is why Lukaku is such a bad signing and why Havertz has, I think, been such bad signing. I actually won't say it about Werner. Like, I think for all of his limitations, Timo Werner was a good signing for Chelsea. Yes. But like, Havertz and Lukaku, we signed these two guys without the willingness to build a system around them. And, like, or, or capability, right? Maybe we just didn't have the right guys. And I think there's part of that there, right? I think that what everybody sees Lataro Martinez and says, oh, well, why couldn't Timo Werner do that? Well, because Lataro Martinez is actually really good at holding up the ball. Like, Lataro Martinez is a really good striker in his own right. Yeah. And it just let Lukaku make those runs. And Timo Werner isn't that guy. Kai Havertz isn't that guy. So I think more than anything, that was the problem. We didn't have a partner for him. But like in Kai Havertz, right? Lampard wanted him to be a midfielder, right? Everybody forgot when we signed Kai Havertz, it was to play as an eight. Yeah. And that, first off, that's just bad scouting. I don't know how anybody <laughs> watched him in the mood and like, it's like, oh, this guy's a midfielder. He, he was never good with a lot of time on the ball. Like he needs like, or sorry, he was never good with having to make quick decisions. Like he needs time on the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess overall that's kind of my view on Fofana, which is if you're gonna spend the money on the guy, great. But then you just need to be prepared that like if you try to play that guy as a center back in a back four, we're gonna get exposed because he just is not there yet at being ready to do that. And maybe in two years he will be. But like his positional awareness isn't there yet. And you saw that against Arsenal, right? And like what Arsenal or what Leicester don't have is Thiago Silva, right? Yes, or, true. and I, I think Tuchel designs a defense better than Brendan Rodgers does. Where mm-hmm. I think if Fafana made those mistakes for Chelsea, there would have been coverage for it. Uh, but, like, he's young. He's going to make mistakes. And it's much harder to give coverage to that stuff in a back four. Chelsea, Chelsea, has, to be, Chelsea has to be well aware of what they are getting, whatever they're going to pick up for Fafana. Because it's not just to say, well, we spent this amount of money on you. You should be good for us. That's not how it works. Players are their qualities, their, their traits, and the system they play in. They are not their hype. They are not their price tag. They are their qualities. If a player is, is, is not good at something and you say, be this thing for us, your money. So now you have to be what you want it to be. He's not going to be successful for you. And there is nothing you can do about it. We have to be well aware of what we are getting. For the past few years, we've just bought players, whether they were forwards or midfielders, without knowing what it is we were getting. We bought Zena. We're not aware of whether we're not aware. I don't know. He's not a good finisher. He needs a lot of chances to score a lot of goals. We didn't create that many chances for him. And then he came and he missed chances and we made his career about chances missed. He's always missed those chances. In his last um, season at Leipzig where he scored 28 league goals, he missed 21 big chances in the league. 
in his first season at Chelsea, he missed 18 big chances in the league. The difference is he didn't get enough chances to still score the, the amount of goals that he scored. So we, we have to wear, wear, wear aware of what we're getting. And many times we just buy players based on Twitter trends. I, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. Okay, so I guess we can wrap up here. But I, I totally agree. And I think that the one thing I will say that's good about the way this transfer market stuff is working this summer is I think Tuchel knows what he's getting. Like, because Tuchel's in charge of it all. So I, I'm less concerned that this is a board, right? The Kunde thing is a perfect example. Tuchel told Kunde, I'm going to play right wing back. And Kunde said, all right, I'm going to Barcelona. It, but to me, like, that's a good sign, right? Because it means Tuchel, the, the, this isn't a board signing Jules Kunde for $65 million and telling Tuchel, all right, go make it work. Right? Mm-hmm. And you better play him at center back because he doesn't want to play right wing back. Like, that's not happening, which I think is a good thing. Um, like, for all this, listen, I think Tuchel wanted Lukaku. I don't think this summer, if that was happening, we would have signed Lukaku. Because I think Tuchel would have talked to the guy and said, hey, by the way, you're going to have to hold up play and lead our press. And Lukaku would have laughed and said, I'm good at dinner. <laughs> um, like, because that's just like the reality, right? And, that's, that's I, and, and so I think that's good. But um, with that, I guess, like, I don't really have anything to put out there for me. I made a long thread on Reese James against Tottenham. Uh, the differences in stats you can look at. Uh, Ola, I know you have a few articles. Is there anything you want to push kind of today? Uh, Your article about the wrapping was really good. Yeah, thank you. I I wrote, I think I wrote two articles um, over the last two days. I think the first one was about the the moments that actually lost us the game as opposed to the narrative that we we had to concede, we had to defend the corner that shouldn't have been called. It's 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 a game. You are going to get calls. Do your job. That that that's just that's just part of it. The second one was about um uh how dominant we were as opposed to how dominant many people thought we were. I think on another day, yes, the calls probably go in Chelsea's favor, but Hurricane also finishes his chance. Sensation finishes his chance. Son, who actually doesn't miss that much, scores his goal, and then we lose three one or three two or something funny like that. So. I think when you when you allow as much as you do, it's a bit disingenuous to come out and say we control that whole game and should have won if not for the history. So it's just and I, I write a whole lot of articles for the Pride of London, so you can check it out. My the link to all my articles is in my Twitter profile. So all right. Well, thank you. And yeah, everybody should go read those. So thank you guys for listening to the Bounce Blues Brothers podcast and keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>